Andy, it's your episode today. Why don't you bring it in? B. Well, I'll, I'm going to have to look up the thing now. Okay, all right. There ain't much. You've got to look up the thing. It's like two sentences long. Don't worry. I've got to look up the skirt. I'm going to look up the thing. The thing. The hoof. I've like got to look up the thing. Sin, I'm walking really. here. It's a sin, I'm really. here. <laughs> Two D, the flat frontier. These are the voyages of the Pancake Enterprise. Its rotoscoped mission to repeat the same animation and music, to transcend the limitations of 70s animation, to go boldly where no cartoon has gone before. Toon Trek, based upon Star Trek, created by Gene Roddenberry, starring. Paul Spataro. Also starring Dave Pascarella. With Bill Robinson. And Andrew Leyland as Andy. Production assistants J. David Wheater. Hello everybody and welcome to Toon Trek. As ever, we are looking at an episode of the 1970s animated show Star Trek, which a lot of people don't consider canon, but we do, because it's got Gene Roddenberry's name on it. By we, I mean, as ever, I am joined by my own crew, my own away team, my own landing party, if you will. Paul Spataro. Hello. Dave Pascarella. Hello, good to be here. And Jonathan Harris as Dr. Bill Robinson. Oh, the pain. The pain, William. I am Andrew. And today we are looking at David Gerald's BEM, which was an old 1950s acronym for Bug-Eyed Monster, which really? usually applies to this episode. Yes, yes, they didn't have all, that, all those 50s shock horror movies. That makes the, so much uh, sense now. Sci-fi ones were called BEM movies. And here I was going to sing the song about the rat, but okay. But it's Ben. Ben. <laughs> Who's the rat? Da, 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 da. Did you when you, um, when you had a child, Bill? Did, did you name him after like Bug-eyed Nudge or something? Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> uh, you 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 found me out. You you uh, whatever you <laughs> you you you. This is one of the finer insults that you'll find on this show. <laughs> we are we are clever uh, if nothing we, if not clever we are our workplace is witty our insults genuinely insulting um before we go into anything uh we'll, we should we discuss star trek news which is never news because we record this month in advance we should just mention dave is here too <laughs> i mentioned well, dave, dave. I, I, did I you i didn't dave, hear, i didn't I, hear, I did not hear you mention dave, dave. gets second billing man Dave's the co-star. Dave's David McCallum to Robert Vaughn. He's Leonard Nimoy to William Shatner. Is he, we- is, is he wearing a turtleneck right now? I yes, hope so. Of course. And nothing else. Oh. <laughs> but only because it's a Zoom call. But it's like it's like in one, oh, of, the, it's like in one of those you know TV shows when they want the woman to be sexy and she's wearing like the the shirt, but it, like you know it covers the the naughty bits. So Dave's got Dave's got a, a turtleneck on that goes down to his his thighs. Actually, I see Dave in a turtleneck onesie with a flap in the back. <laughs> I, I think if you're seeing anything of that, you should seek help. <laughs> well, you know the dreams I have, Andy. So I but, do. Yeah, blimey, all right. 
You're like a Davy Cronenberg film. <laughs> if we filmed those things, they would be the kind of films on the art movie circuit that would get rave reviews, but mainstream, they'd never do anything. <laughs> right. Apart from the ones with Unity in, they'd, they'd do well. Mm-hmm. It was a fantastic film. Didn't make it any money whatsoever, but it was one of the best things ever made. In my like, head. In your head. Yep. <laughs> anyway, Star Trek news, do we have any? Oh, Strange New Worlds has been dropping loads of trailers. Uh, I am really struggling to accept Nurse Chapel as a hot, bleach blonde sex pot. But maybe that's just me. Oh, I guess Everyone's, I haven't seen that trailer. Have you not? They've done a trailer for each individual character, and it, oh, looks, it looks okay. okay. My only problem is the sets are drawing too much attention to themselves because they do. Why? Because yeah. the, does it match up to the original? No, no, it's it's not that it doesn't match up. I get all the reasons that they're doing that. Yeah. I have a problem with it because when Discovery leaps, whatever it was, 700 years into the future or whatever, the tech doesn't look any different from Strange New Worlds because they made an effort to update Discovery under the, the pretense that the 60s sets wouldn't stand up anymore, to which I say, exhibit Aimalord, that two-part episode of Enterprise where they held up quite well, but whatever. But there's a discrepancy there now because the future technology doesn't look any different for 900 years. My problem with it is there's too much of it. There's too much the attempting to carry the focus of your eye. There's too much lens flow. There's too many lights. There's too much going on. And it's taking your focus away from the actors. So even though they have essentially done a 20, 21st century version of the original bridge set, there's too many greeblies. There's just mm-hmm. too much happening. And whereas if you look at the original set, your focus is always on the actors. And in this one, the actors just disappear into the background. Well, I can't believe I'm about to say this sentence. <sighs> to defend Discovery. Oh, God, that hurt. <laughs> uh, you could, in the story narrative, you know, you and I, I don't know how much the other fellows are on the show, and I don't know how much. Uh, I'll just put it this way. There are things that happen that may have stagnated the development of technology because of reasons. And you know what I mean, Andy, because you have at least have yes. seen. So you could say that's the reason for that because they they are somewhat advanced a little bit in certain areas, but it could be, you know, because of what happened that kind of caused technology to kind of sit. I mean, look at look at look at the Star Wars uh games. They got like the same technology for thousands of years that all has very little change to it, which is yeah, I, I find that more of an I agree with you. I think, you know, but that's a distinct lack of imagination on behalf of the people who are making Star Wars, isn't it? Let's follow up a show about a Mandalorian bounty hunter with a show about a Mandalorian bounty hunter. Oh, that's a brilliant idea. Let's get lunch. (laughs) Yeah. So, but Strange New Worlds does look quite good. I am, I am here for it, even if I'm scratching my head at some of the casting choices. So, Uhura was on the ship before Kirk? Okay, if you say so. <laughs> I've only seen the one trailer with uh, Anson Mount riding a horse uh, he was with a beard, and yeah, uh, with a uh, when a Anson uh, mounted <laughs> when a shuttle flies over his head. So I'm wondering if like maybe he's trying to escape his fate, getting away from Starfleet, and of course you know something comes along and sucks him back in. Well, Either that, that or the plot on short. Of the cage. Well, yeah. 
Oh, that was okay. the entire plot of the cage. He was disillusioned with Starfleet. He'd had enough. It wasn't even called Starfleet then, but whatever. Uh, he'd had enough, and he wanted to quit because of that last mission that had seen a lot of his crew get killed and Spock get wounded, which is why he's limping. And he made his peace with that by the end of that episode. Yeah, but so now we still... know it's because he knows his future fate. Well, there is, yeah, there is that. Oh, well, yeah, and since we last recorded, they've announced that um, somebody from the Vampire Diaries is going to play Lieutenant James T. Kirk. Who, a guy who is, like, what, almost 40 years old, but yet his character should be in his 20s? Yep. Yeah, well, I mean, yes. yeah, they can make people look much younger, so whatever. Well, you got to remember, in the yeah. 1960s, but if you were... But he just cast a younger person. In the 1960s, if you were in your 30s, you looked like you were 70. <laughs> so it's okay. Yeah, well, how, how old was Shatner? Wasn't he, like, 30... Shatner was 33 when he was cast. He was 34. His name is specifically given... His name, sorry. His age is specifically given as 34 years old in the Deadly deadly Years. years. Yeah, I'm only 34. And in Obsession, he says that he was on the Farragut 11 years prior. So as a 23-year-old, he was a lieutenant on the USS Farragut. I don't know... So we know that. I don't know the actor that they cast but looking at him he does seem to look the part it'd be brilliant i just why is he why 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 just leave those there that's that's your point it's like yeah because they're trying because it's greatest hit show come on you guys love greatest hits don't you i do the member (laughs) yeah oh you don't well you're sucking up the picard juice aren't you you're drinking that picard kool-aid no no hold on hold on back up a little bit because you're you're getting into a conversation we had before we were actually in the episode (laughs) i have not seen any of season two of picard yet but i'm hearing a lot of positive episodes so far I'm hearing yes, a, I'm hearing a lot of positive buzz, and a lot of it is based on on some of it being greatest hits. And when you factor in that season one of Picard, uh, it seemed like the whole mandate was, "I will not do this if I'm doing a greatest hit show." Uh, it it makes me think, "Ooh, I want to see this." And I have to admit, I enjoy greatest hit shows. I do. I hope that it's yeah. not. I hope there's it's some sort of original twist to it. Has its place. As long as long as you there know, is. it's packaged right and with you know with some stuff that's yep. worth seeing, I I enjoy a great Stitch show, so I'm on board. I have not seen episode four and five. I've only were, seen up the three, so I don't know. I, I just haven't had time because of work. So maybe it's better. I'll, I should have some time this weekend to look. But. Uh, all right, here's the thing, right? Uh, me and Bill uh, are on similar parallel paths with regards to Star Trek Discovery. We, I don't hate it quite as much as you do. I, I, I don't, don't hate it. Great. I just get angry that I think it could be better. You know, it's just... and <sighs> All insufferably smug. I find all characters really tedious and very smug, and even the ones that I did like have had bled out of them what it was that I liked about them. So I before i liked that um stamets was obnoxious i liked him and i liked the reason that isaacs jason isaacs's character put up with his obnoxiousness was that he was the only one who could operate the spore drive but they bled that characteristic out of it but Mm -hmm. all the others i just i just find i always find it's a bit too soap opera like the way it's shot as well they're always just looking at each other and smiling like they're all in soft focus that's when they're not whining about something or having anxiety attacks or whatever I, and having I to go like to poor smug. Dr. Colbert 
<laughs> it's like oh, 90210 in space. Yeah, it's, mm. yes, yeah. But not as much fun because it's not quite as soapy and you've not got mm-hmm. Brenda pining over uh, Luke Perry. So it's, it's you know... Have you know, seen all of this, this season of Discovery? I skipped five episodes. Wow, probably didn't notice any difference. five episodes. I'm just going to say it's the last two-parter that ends the season. I don't feel like I missed any story at all. Besides, you have I my running discussion going, oh my god, can we just get on with the story? Yeah, well, there is that. I mean, I'm all for character development and, and, and building, you know, but it, when you feel like you get nothing, this show is nothing but character development, at this point, after this many seasons, we know who the characters are. I don't need to be beat over the head about what drives the characters, you know. Tell a story, for God's sakes. Bonk, bonk on the head. Well, that's the idea. I, I but that's, was that's, that's the way television has become today. Yeah, you know, it's like you watch nature of it. I've ruined it. You watch old television. You you maybe knew one guy he had a wife at home. The other guy was single, but you never knew what happened outside the day's work. Do you know what I mean? If it was Adam Twelve, if it was Dragnet, if it was a doctor show, you only saw what was going on, you know, here at work. Today it's not like that anymore. Everyone's got an issue that we're going to talk about. Well, I'm going to use NCIS New Orleans as an example. Yes, there are ongoing narratives with characters, and there's character development, and there's things in their private life, but they write or have shot the show in such a way that I, what happens with Discovery is it's almost like the brakes are put on, everything comes to a complete halt. I mean, there could be major shit happening somewhere else, and we'll cut away to the discussion about, well, you know, I'm going to leave, and I think I'm going to, you know... You know, this happened with my mom and uh, back in the day. And, well, you know, she's a thousand years in the past now. But I've (sighs) just like, okay, can we start to show back up? I understand. With like, we already know all this. Uh, I get that. And I do. Maybe I I do understand that. No, I, I, I totally get the criticism. And it is, you know, you're. The, the commentary that it is like, you know, a, a reflection on the way TV is now. Yeah, it is. Uh, and it's almost like the pendulum has swung too far in that direction. And now they need to kind of, kind of, you know, give us a, a little variation on things. I like the ongoing narrative where you need to kind of have seen every episode in order to watch something. And I like the getting into the backgrounds a little bit. But it's almost like when we talk about comics and we talk about the decompressed storytelling, it's almost like they get into that a little bit, where they just start giving mm. you every minute detail. And it's you know maybe they need to find the balance. And that's what they're, they're failing on, is, is giving us a balance on these things, which would be nice. Uh, some some shows benefit from it, but it seems like all the shows are trying to do it. They all, you know, it's a copycat industry to a large degree. So I think that creates problems is when people try to copy and they don't do it as well. So that's my my. Well, thought. I'm concerned with Picard in that that I'm hoping it can surprise me. Because Andy and I have mentioned some things in the background, and I have a new theory about who the original that that shrouded Borg Queen is. I don't know if I sent you a text about that. That it could yeah. be another. Well, I now think it's someone else who is uh, 
who's been interacting with the Borg Queen, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know who I'm talking about, <laughs> that she's probably the shrouded queen that shows up in the first episode. That would be my new theory. The other theory was the other person that we talked about in that text. Mm. I'm trying not to spoil anything for you guys. Thank so. you. See, I, I think the opposite. I think when you do you serialize stuff and it works, it can be really good. I think the problem with Discovery this year was the story wasn't enough to fill however many episodes they did. The fact that I skipped five episodes mm. and didn't feel like I'd missed anything tells you everything you need to know. Whereas every episode of Picard so far, and I've seen five of them, has made me go at the end. Is that it? Can I watch the next one now, please? And you have to wait till next week. Well, the, the only two character storylines that I give a rat's butt about that I feel any connection to are book and the doctor. I don't know, you know, be, because I feel maybe it's the actors, although the doctors is starting to wear a little on, on me too, but, but I really felt for book this season because of what happens to him. Mm-hmm. But as for his relationship with Michael, yeah. yeah. Every, every time you say book, every time you say book, I think of uh, Witness when Harrison Ford played John Book. John Book. And I think of yeah. the, the older Amish man saying, book, book. <laughs> well, actually, I think, don't they call him Booker? No. No, 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 no. I mean, in Discovery. Oh, in Discovery, there, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, now, maybe it's the actor. I mean, it's funny because in one of the, uh, what was it, Legends of Tomorrow or something, he played uh, uh, Manchester Black in Supergirl, I think. That that same actor. Did he? Yeah. I must have stopped watching Supergirl by that point. And I liked him there. That's the first time I was exposed yeah. to him. Well, see, the thing with Picard as well, the, the first episode of season two of Picard, I actually thought I was watching an episode of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. which is like the first time I've really felt like in ages. Discovery's going to have its way to not look like it. And even this year, they've introduced those new uniforms that look quite natty, but just look like coloured dentist frocks. Whereas what the a- first episode of Picard actually felt like an episode. And then everyone since then, and we're only really saying it's created such package because they've done time travel and they've gone back to 2024 and it feels a little bit Voyage Home and it feels it feels a lot more like that episode of Voyager they did with Sarah Silverman to be honest oh, with yeah, you yeah, yeah. that they're actually in modern day California that kind of thing and there's little there's lots of little fan gags in it like they walk past Floyd's barber shop in one scene and, and stuff like that but I'm at hey I we get to see Gold Cart right and we got to see we got to see Gold Cart yeah yeah and, kind of kind of and <laughs> The um, the actual story seems quite interesting, even though it's stuff we've seen before. We have to go back to save the future, yada, yada, yada. But I like the characters a lot more in Picard. I like the entire cast a lot more in Picard. Agnes Girati has been immense fun this year, just even in the, her though, interactions with the Borg Queen. Even though well, the first season she got away with murder, but that's okay. We'll yes, literally. It was moida. We'll just gloss up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I... I this I'm gonna try. All right, I gotta say this so it's not spoilery. Does the new John Luke Picard not have any sex drive libido? I mean, the person that was hitting on him, I'm like, come on, man. Yeah, that was that was a bit <laughs> weird, and it gets a little bit weirder when because you're not there yet. But why? Well, I saw the end of the third um, episode, so. And I, uh, okay. I, yeah, so, which I'm thinking that's uh, like a Gary Seven thing. <laughs> 
you you are on the light the right lines. Ah, look at me. Yeah. Look at you. Um, and I will watch Michelle Hurd and Jerry Ryan do that Lethal Weapon act for every episode <laughs> from now until the end of time. Because they See, are you're absolutely me over, Andy. You're winning me over. They they are absolutely wonderful. Those two at that buddy cop dynamic. There's a scene where they have to steal a police car that is genuinely out of Lethal Weapon. And I'm there for it. If they get oh. trapped in 2024 and have to take a job as detectives, I would watch that show. Because those two are just brilliant in it. I really like Rios this year. I loved him as actual proper Starship Commander, but that was the only problem I've had with it so far. Love Q. I think John Delancey's brilliant. Oh, the only yeah. problem I've had with it, at the end of episode one, <laughs> right, why was Picard... This is episode one, it's what instigates the whole plot, which is the time travel, so it's not really a spoiler. Why was Picard allowed to order a self-destruct on a ship that he's not the captain of? Why does the yeah, computer react to his voice? And why was it only with one... Usually yeah. you have to have two. You need back up, yeah. Three, he and your officers to initiate a self-destruct. He's just like, Picard, zero, 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 yeah. destruct. Oh, out. I was I was completely baffled by that and it wouldn't have taken anything for somebody to just go um, should we not give what? these lines to Rios yes it was his ship after yeah. all and, ev- and even if he says right computer complete override captain's prerogative enable self-destruct and then gave the, the code which would have at least explained why you didn't need the backup officers but I did not understand why it was Picard that gave that order and more importantly why the computer reacted to it Come on, I didn't get that as well. Because they were on the Stargazer. Yeah, but it's a different Stargazer. Dude. No, no, I'm sure it's the same computer core. <laughs> oh, bullshit. <laughs> I don't buy that at all. But for the most part, I am very much enjoying it, and I do recommend it to you, especially as those of us that did think that the first season was a little bit more Blake 7 than it was Star Trek. Mm. And Patrick Stewart's still getting his wish. He's not standing on the bridge of the Enterprise and saying stuff, make it so, and all that stuff. So he's he's getting but, his wish. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Uh, one thing that didn't make sense to me, when Picard and Agnes are on a ship and she's cold, and he's like, well, let's go someplace where we can get warm. So they Boom, use... Chikawawa. So... <laughs> So they use the transporter to go to a place, uh, I won't say where, so they could start a fire we so they get warm. The they were just on the ship and they used a transporter. They can't find some way to create generate heat on the ship? I mean, yeah, I know the plot demanded them to go where they went to go, but it was just like, don't be so stupid. Well, especially seeing as in the original show, we, we saw them use phasers. Phasers to heat rocks, for God's to sake. Heat something, yeah. So I'm sure there was something they could have done. That is true, yeah. But all the, and honestly, I know, sometimes I feel... Nerdy, I, nerdy yeah, I, yeah, did, I was I'm, just going to say, sometimes I think the critiques like that are just overly nitpicky. Like, I could probably just sit here and say, well, why were they walking past Floyd's Barbershop? Because wasn't City on the Edge of Forever in New York? And they're in L.A.? <laughs> Well, you know what? Franchise. Yeah, they franchised it out by now. <laughs> yeah. When he started, he was one little shop in the 1940s or whenever Sitting the Edge of Forever was. And by 2024, he's got a franchise. Indy, come in. Let me cut your hair. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and there's people, there's people moaning, like, why doesn't Whoopi Goldberg, Whoopi Goldberg, why doesn't Guinan remember him from Time's Arrow? 
We're oh, doing a time travel yeah, story with but, the divergent timelines. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Some of that feels like nitpicking. I, but it's hard not to be a nitpicker after you've seen so much of it. And you've got so much rules developed in your head. I mean, the rules can be broken; they can be rewritten. I mean, and that's yeah. And I'm I'm right there with you. Yeah, I'm I'm watching these trailers for Strange New Worlds, and I'm going, Uhura was on the ship before Kirk. Are you sure? And Doctor <laughs> Mabenga was there before McCoy. So where's Doctor Piper? And then at the same time, I know that the vast majority of the people who are going to watch this show don't give a crap. That there was a different doctor in Where No Man Has Gone Before. Just like they don't care that James Kirk's middle initial was R. Mm-hmm. What did that R stand for again? Ricardo. It was a homage to Desi Arnett. <laughs> Seriously? No. No, I just meant that up. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, Desi Lou did... Productions did... Yeah, did that's, that's what I mean. I'm thinking it's an homage to Retcon. More paternity... Spark, yes, you have explained it to do. <laughs> More pertaining to what we talk about. Have you guys seen the captain's seat? Captain's seat. Uh, okay. The captain's seat is a ten-part documentary. Oh, that we've fifty-five had- history of Star Trek. Yeah, the Gates McFadden's done. I think you vaguely mentioned it yes. before. It's just shown up on Amazon Prime over here, Ooh. and I watched the first two episodes. The entire oh. second episode is about the animated series. Ooh. Ooh. Look at you. I wonder if it's, it's, it's quite interesting. Look at you bringing us back to on point. <laughs> so what is Yeah, it? well, I'm, I'm professional oh. at this part. What is it called again, Andy? The Captain Seat. <clears throat> the Captain Seat. It's on the History Channel. Oh, no, it's channel. the Centre yeah. Seat. Sorry, no. Yeah, it's the Centre Seat. Sorry, my mistake. Uh, now I can't it's find it. Oh, does that mean it won't be oh, on? Oh, is it on the History Channel? Right, yeah, okay. it's on the app. If you go to the History Channel app, it's got the first four episodes. You're the only person in the world who right. has that app. Please. Yeah. All right, so I like it. What do you want? <laughs> I don't have, I don't have Paramount. I don't have the other thing, but I have the History Channel. That's fair enough. If you listen to this in the United Kingdom, it's on Amazon Prime. It's called Center Seat? Center Seat, 55 Years of Star Trek. It's hosted by Gates McFadden. I'm just going to put it into my Just Watch app and see if it's on oh, I any other streaming. Computer? <laughs> Where is this streaming? Center Seat is... There it is. 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 That's another Not as wounded as streaming on, on the History Channel. It's also streaming on DirecTV. Yeah. It's not, not streaming on any service that I have, so I will. Now Dave will be happy to know that I will be getting the History Channel app. <laughs> then they, they will have two people with it. <laughs> I would two say whole viewers. I would say at least once or twice a month I will do some some Star Trek quote, and I just wait for somebody around. Just like now, I like I would probably at work say there she is, and then people just look at me and I'm like really. Nobody sees saw Star Trek too. Anyone? Okay. Anyone at all? <laughs> Anyone? Anybody? You and and then I'll be like, you all just disappoint me so much, and then I'll walk away. <laughs> the one that I always get blank stares is when somebody says, "Give me a minute," and I routinely say, "I give two minutes to you and your value." <laughs> I get blank stares for that one all the time. Uh, uh. 
usually usually if I do it around the house, my daughter just gives me uh you know oh it's another one of his dad references or one of his shows. But then when I do a show that she's watching, she's like exactly. Oh, ben and I do that all the time. He'll do something stupid and I'll look at him and go, Good job and he'll do the same thing to me. So hey, I'll sit for news. Yeah. I can't think I'll of say uh, news. I haven't by the time this goes out, all of Picard will have heard and the last episode will have disappointed me amazingly. So. <laughs> I've I only watched the first maybe the second episode of Prodigy. Um I kind of stalled on that because uh, I mean it was all right. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned it before that I had watched it. It's been a while since I watched it, so it, I may have mentioned it on a prior I show. Have not seen it. It's okay. The Janeway hologram is uh, interesting. Um, it's it is geared more towards kids, obviously, but it's still got a darker plot underlying. There is some science that has me confused. Like, mm, it's Star Trek, dude. Well, like, because they're supposedly in the uh, whatever quadrant. They're in like a far off quadrant, but yet they've got tellerites. And I was just like, but well, isn't that shouldn't that be like local? Because because I saw a uh, what was the original race that Voyager first encountered when they went to the Delta quadrant? The Kazon. Kazon. Oh, there's the Kazon. There's Kazon, and then there's, like, this other character, and he's like, I'm a Tellarite. I'm like, you look more like a freaking org from Warhammer, I mean, from uh, 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 World of Warcraft, than you do a Tellarite, but okay, you're a Tellarite. And and then in my head, I'm like, wait a minute, how did the Tellarite get to the Delta Quadrant? But then I'm like, eh, I'll maybe, wait and see if this Maybe they were explained. lost in space the same way. <laughs> Well, you know, you know, the Kazons go rolling along. <laughs> I've been watching the new Lost in Space on Netflix as well. Oh yes, I've seen. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk to Smith. Sorry, I, I thought you turned into Floyd there. Oh yes, yes, Lost in Space. Yes, I like the new Dr. Smith, yes. Very sexy Posey Parker. Or Parker Posey, however you want to say that. Yeah, do you not like do you not like Maureen? Oh no, she's good too, but I like okay. Dr. Smith. Maybe because you Dr. Like Smith the bad girls. Oh she's batshit crazy. Yes, she is. She's batshit crazy. I've only watched We've just finished watching season two, so we've got season three today. But speaking of stuff Star Trek that was aimed at kids. Oh yeah, the animated series. <laughs> Star Trek the Animated Series Season 2, Episode 2 BEM was written by David Gerald and directed by Bill Reed, although Hal Sutherland still gets credited at the end because they're too lazy to change the credits <laughs> which is fun no, it's, it's the fight music in this one, what's the fight music in this one? Oh, it is there we go. We do this for free, you know. On Star Date 740, who would pay for this? Yeah, it's very true. On Star Date 7403.6, the Federation Starship Enterprise crew was conducting a series of exploratory missions with honorary commander Ari Bin Bim, a representative from the newly contracted planet 
Pandro, who was working for his government as an independent observer of the Federation. It's nice to Shatner to join us. Bam accompanies a landing party on a mission to a newly discovered planet. Instead of observing, however, he begins to interfere with the mission. Before long, Captain Kirk and his people are captured by primitive natives. They soon learn that these primitives are under the guardianship of a powerful non-corporeal entity who is upset that the Enterprise crew has come to her planet and interfered with her children. Not like Justice. that. Justice. And that's I'm, the synopsis. I'm very unhappy that you are messing with my children. <laughs> yeah, I'm Michelle Nichols. Michelle Nichols. Yeah. Let's, let's not ever Michelle expect Nichols there to be good voice best. acting in these episodes and try and look beyond that if we can, because every episode, it's it's amazing. Well, this sounds weird for the voice acting, isn't it? Like, there's no DeForest Kelly. Sulu's on the landing party for the entire episode, but doesn't say a word. So Takai's not there. So basically, you've got Jimmy Doo and Nichelle Nichols doing double duty this year, this week, because I can't see that there's you know, chapels around either. So is this the lowest cast of any episode of Star Trek ever? <sighs> you know, it may be. I mean, again, it's just... We, you know, we go on, on so frequently about this, the voice acting being so bad in these, in these that, you know, that just because they decided to get so cheap, uh, that, that I just, I, I almost just don't want to go there anymore. I was going to actually voice acting. Gatner and Nimoy are exceptional in this one, especially if they've not worked together. Because they've got that David World rat tat tat patter going on. And if they didn't record that in the same room together, whoever edited this did a real bang up job with it. Especially the um, the wonderfully funny bit in the middle with the jail cells and Kirk's like Do these things keep happening to us? <laughs> and Spock's all uh, that seems to be a silly question, Captain. I'm just aware if they're they're not bouncing off each other as they do in live action, they've done a really good job that together because that conversation felt like it really flowed and it helps as well I think that Shatner's Shatner likes comedy so with the light comedy stuff he's really quite good at it I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that 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 voice acting is good and and even when that voice acting gets phoned in you know literally uh, yeah it seems okay to me because it is the person's voice I've been routinely more bothered by the, you know, we can't hire a separate voice actor and we got to use the same person and they make really just a horrible effort at trying to make a natural sounding voice or a voice that sounds like it should come from the character that we're seeing on the screen. Uh, I think Lieutenant Arix is a, is a prime example of that. Uh, but, you know, it, it's like, you know, I'm trying to, to, I'm trying to look beyond that and get more into the, you know, what's the story? Is the story well done, you know, plot-wise and, you know, making us think about things? Or, you know, is, is it just childish and silly? Because, uh, you know, the voice acting has been routinely annoying. The, you know, animation, you know, it's it's 19, early 1970s animation, so you can only expect so much from that. So, like I said, it's, it's more just a question of... You know, is the story worthwhile? In this particular story, you know, we're, we're dealing with one that was <laughs> that was red lit from season three. Uh, so, you know, how good can it be if they said, "Oh, it's not good enough to be one of these episodes"? But you know, despite all that, I I kind of enjoyed this. I thought this was fairly entertaining. I thought some of the things that came up were were you know maybe a little derivative of things that we saw before. Uh, 
the the Bem being able to split his body the way he did and kind of you know fly. Uh, was, well, that's probably why they weren't able to make it a. Well, they would have had to do it differently. Actual episode. They would have had to yeah, do it. Yeah, they would have had the road around that. But but it was yeah. But I found it entertaining. Storytelling. Yeah. On yeah, taking aside the things we normally criticize, uh, the science and the story. Yes, it's derivative, but it's not derivative here as much as it will be because there's what uh, the next generation episode that was yep. uh, uh yeah so uh, can kind of forgive that here i mean what what would i mean although in the original series we always saw where gods or people of power over lesser you know species uh <laughs> like you know the apollo one yeah yeah, I mean, there were definitely a, a fair number of episodes of that ilk. Uh, and we've got a good writer for this episode, David Gerald. But I, I did think, you know, I, I like I said, I, the, the bottom line is I found this one entertaining. I found the character of Bem to be frustrating to me as he was to Kirk. So I thought that was kind of a cool thing in the way he was put together. Uh you know, it, it, this this was kind of enjoyable, and then the whole thing about you know interacting with a new species. I thought the animation on the indigenous life forms was. I thought the character models were kind of cool looking. I wish they had done a little bit more with the animation. Is really what it came to with that. Uh, but it, you know, the, the the whole thing about you know dealing with a new you know coming to the new planet, and you have a relatively uncivilized race there, and then you have a. a you know, a greater power overseeing it uh, and how you interact with them. And, you know, you have to show them that, you know, we will not kill today. Uh, you know, I mean, like, again, a little derivative, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, it's it, you know, I thought it was cool. I enjoyed it. Andy, I got a quick question for you. So do you think mm-hmm. any of this was t- taken into account when they did the opening to, or is it just a coincidence? The opening of, was it Star Trek Beyond with the primitive race that, they're trying not to be seen and interfere, but then, you know, they fly away on the Enterprise, and then when they leave, the, the tribe is drawing the Enterprise on the ground. That was in Beyond, right? Yes, the opening? that is the opening to Beyond. Yes. So, I mean, it is. I, I doubt they thought oh, no, wait, that. Wait, 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 hold on. I gotta, we got to back that up. The dealing with the primitive race in Beyond was when he was giving them the, 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 the artifact, and they were like, what is it? No, they're trying to kill us, and then they all attack Kirk. The drawing the thing Wait. on the ground was the oh, beginning of into, yeah, right. into darkness. Oh, that's right. That's well because I blocked that mostly from my memory. That's probably why I couldn't remember that. <laughs> Thank you for judging that up. I must go now and scream into a pillow. <laughs> All right. So now we've got um, rid of. Bill. I would be inclined. <laughs> I would be inclined to say it's just coincidence, but Simon Pegg wrote Beyond, and he kind of did his research. Certainly a lot more than the other guy did. So, I don't know, it could go either way. It's unlikely that he watched the animated series. I know that he did watch all the episodes of the original before he wrote Beyond. But, uh, well, God, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but Into Darkness, well, since that scene there was in there, does give credence to this entity saying that, you know, you're going to interfere and mess with my children because that's exactly what they did in that movie by they, they it, you know, well, but, you know, Kirk was always messing around with the development of races yeah friend kirk yeah i quite like this one again i like that the 
that Ben can split himself up. I thought that was really cool. That is interesting. Especially yes. the underwater bit where he nicks the, the communicators. Why does he do that? <laughs> well, what is Ben I mean, thinking? Because you, he's just you rely trickster. too much on your technology. Ben's an idiot. This one, <laughs> this one thinks you rely too much on your technology. Is this the first time we get Tiberius mentioned as Kirk's middle name? Yes. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. So they make a mention of in that episode that of. Um, well, that's that is exactly the argument they make in the center seat, young David. They actually, because they have the whole conversation about people saying that this isn't canon, and they, one of the arguments they make is that this is the first time Kirk is referred to on film or animation as James Tiberius Kirk. I thought my name was Ricardo. <laughs> Thanks, Lucy. <laughs> so did you get a vibe? Did you get a vibe of the uh, the godlike entity of the uh, companion for Metamorphosis? I got a mm. lot of flashbacks to the show, like Paul said when he was talking about it. It's not the most original episode in terms of story. Its originality comes from it being able to actually animate a proper alien being who can split into three separate parts, if you will. Although, again, I'm looking forward to Blaine explaining the science of that. <laughs> hey, Post, I'm not. I'm. I'm a physicist, not a biologist. <laughs> so you know. But I loved again that Uhura gets to give give him command of the ship like she did last time and I liked that because she actually gets to bollock Scotter who is technically outranks her for not obeying orders <laughs> that was quite cool well sometimes you get the feel that Uhura is the smartest one on the ship I mean this is a very dangerous mission that we don't want to bring down the observer but the captain's going to go the first officer's going to go the chief engineer and the navigator <laughs> What's the matter? The doctor was off this week, or he would have come along too. Yeah. <laughs> doctor was on shore leave. Oh, he'd gone visiting his daughter. On a side note, a tangent. Which So, can anybody name me another science fiction series and where a... I know of at least one. Uh, of where a character on the show, maybe not a regular character is able to separate a body part from their body. Angel! Which episode? Uh, the one with the Doctor. It was very early on. Oh, that's right, yes. Okay, I... body parts. Yes, and they could autonomously... Yeah, autonomous. They can move on their own. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up, Paul. <laughs> uh, that, that's my porky pig power. <laughs> Uh, no, I was, actually, I was actually thinking of um, season two of Buck Rogers when Mark Leonard. Oh, God, yeah. Mark Leonard he, could do it. He could take his head off, couldn't he? He, he took his whole head off and lifted yeah. it above his head. And all and all the primitive drivers were like, oh, ooga booga. Ah. <laughs> and, they, and they were able to get, that was a, a two-part journey to Oasis. And he had that magnificent perm. In that he episode, did, he a, too. He had, a, he had a great her in that episode. That's you right. guys got to look that up. He's got this perm I, I straight out of the... I, oh, God, it was... It, uh, 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 Surak 
Sorry, Sarek with a perm. And he was the romantic interest for Wilma Deering. Interesting. Well, Sarek liked his human women. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he did. I totally forgot about the angel one. So you go, those two mm. that we can ram up off the top of our head. I'm sure our audience can come up with more. Cool. So send it an email or post on Facebook. Oh, there's the Michael Caine movie, The Hand, when his hand gets caught off and then goes around killing people. Well, we saw again, that in Angel, Evil Hand. Lindsay's oh, yeah. Evil Hand. Oh, uh, yeah. Or even... Uh... Suicide Squad, the, the dude with the two hands that come up. Oh, true, true. So what do you think about the Back whole to- uh, first contact aspect of this? Is And I don't mean the episode first contact or the movie first contact. I mean just the actual first contact with this race that they meet up with. Uh, I think it's kind of interesting because they really don't interact with them at all. Other than to shoot them with phasers. <laughs> yeah, but what, didn't they already have things in place that they shouldn't be interacting? No, they or shouldn't. Is this still but usually every episode when they have first contact, there is interaction. Oh, so I, I, I think of how many. To be, you know, I, again, you know, kind of derivative in a lot of ways, but also just kind of, you know, giving us some different points of view and different perspectives on things. You know, their, their whole interaction was with this superior being that was, you know, whatever her story was, we, you know, we never really find out. But usually they have the interaction with the race. And then, you know, at the end, that's the big reveal is that there's a, a you know, a being that has, uh, you know, more power or abilities or whatever that that's kind of overseeing everything. So this this is kind of a twist on that, you know, on that uh plot setup that they usually do and again I thought I would have liked to have seen a little bit more uh, effort to animate those characters the I guess what were they like kind of alligator headed things well the backgrounds in this one I liked them but did they not look like they just ripped off the backgrounds from Planet of the Apes cartoon yes yes that, I didn't think of that until you just I said it but yes they did but it, it did look like that, didn't it? We have these sets drawn already. We just got to use them. <laughs> just put these little black cutout people walking in front hey, of you it. You know what? It would be another 40 years on. before they did Star Trek uh, meets Planet of the Apes. And when they did, it was pretty darn good. Yeah, it was good, that comic. Mm-hmm. I keep here. I kept hearing Ash going, "All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. This is my boomstick." <laughs> I can, and that's got me thinking of the the uh, what I don't remember what he called the stick in uh, Thor Ragnarok that the the, the game master had, the, the one that turned them into goo. Mm, yeah, I don't know. So wait, wait, why are you giving me that? Uh, do we have anything more on this we we seem to be hitting uh, hitting a roadblock we had a lot more to say about Picard than we do about this yes the the thing with this it it, it does feel like go on it does suffer that again we've said all this before it suffers from the 22 minute running time 
like you, Paul, I would have liked to have seen a more exploration of the race that actually lives on this planet and more about them. And why Bem, who's supposedly an observer, then spends no time whatsoever actually observing until they get to this planet. Did he give a reason for just locking himself in his quarters? Or did they just did the crew just go out and leave him there? He's very irritating. We don't want anything to do with him. Yeah, they, all they did was comment he, that he spent most of the time in his quarters, but they don't say why. They really don't explain that. Actually, I... I bet I know why he was in his quarters, because I guarantee you he separated parts of his body and went through, like, the air shafts and checked out and did other things So all throughout the ship studying the ship. And that would be fascinating to actually see that occur. That would have been, but that would have been an interesting reveal, episode. <clears throat> well, that, it would have been, have to been revealed in flashbacks, because then you wouldn't it wouldn't be as uh you know it wouldn't i mean the first time he does it you're like what i mean i totally forgot i don't think i ever saw this uh uh this particular one before because i had no idea he was going to break into separate parts and i was like what they even have little separate hands that's weird yeah it was the same way <laughs> it definitely caught me off guard when when all of a sudden the body starts like coming into two parts but it was cool. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, the logistics of it make no sense at all to me. But you know, that's, I kind of always take that stuff with a grain of salt and say, well, you know, it, it's, it's exploring strange new things that we don't quite understand. You know, what looks like magic to you is science to us. Hmm. So I, I take that. And in, in the novel, in the novel, Alan Dean Foster has him split up and like little tendrils come out so he doesn't just hover in mid-air oh so he's kind of like walking on the tendrils yeah if memory walking on tendrils yeah sorry sorry and then if he said I'm walking here I would really appreciate it I'm tendriling here that that would have actually made my day complete especially if he was (laughs) crossing a road while he did it and he smacks on a little computer that comes by. Mm. I'm tendril in here. Of a hovercraft. <laughs> I'm, I'm hovering here. <laughs> so that I was that was quite good, and I did like that at the end of it. She basically tells the Federation to get the hell off her planet. She does it nicely, but that's what she tells them. And Kirk goes, "Okay, well, we're leaving now. Yeah, we're going." What if Clint Eastwood was that uh, entity? Get the hell off my yard. Oh, wait, that's not right. Get off my plane. She just forms into a giant finger and points. Get off my planet. That would almost godlike. I'd be down with that. I'd be down with planet Harrison Ford. (laughs) Except everybody be sleepy. Yeah. (laughs) Or hungry. Sleepy, hungry, or angry. <laughs> or indifferent. I don't know. Just walk casual. Mm. <laughs> so that's Harrison Ford doing William Shatner doing The Voyage Home. Walk, walk <laughs> casual. Everybody remember where we parked. <laughs> All right. How are we rating this? <laughs> What's our top rating? I forget. Five. Is it five? Yes, it's five. Yes. <laughs> How many individual parts does Ben break into? Yes. Well, he breaks into three, doesn't he? His head, his toe, so on his legs. 
head, shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes. Knees and toes. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give it three bed parts. I thought it was solid. It was entertaining. I liked a lot of the dialogue. The dialogue was very crisp and David Geraldy. The actors performed it well. I liked what the episode was saying. I liked the alienness of Ben himself. I just felt some of the elements of the story was stuff we've all seen before. So that stops it from being top tier. But it wasn't in any way bad, I didn't think. I gave it a 3.5 because I think it's among the better episodes of the show. I found it very entertaining. There were so, things about so it. So which, which extra bits of Ben comes off then? <laughs> That's in the X-rated version. Oh, right, okay. That's Little Bem. Little Bem. You're thinking with your Little that's Bem. A, that's a that's little the little one where it says what he was doing in his room for the past three days before the mission. He found the internet. <laughs> to to quote, quote Seinfeld, he was treating his body like an amusement park. Yes, indeed. Very good. So, 3.5 for me. I found it very entertaining. I really enjoyed it. I uh, I gave it a, a four point five. I really enjoyed this one. Uh, I thought the story was kind of cool. I I found them to be a jerk, but an entertaining one. I liked the connectivity to the original series. You know, the original series. The reference to, like I said, the god entity reminded me of the companion from Metamorphosis. The building up with Kirk's middle name, which to me, as they said in that program, makes it uh, canon. Uh, another quarantine planet that nobody's to ever go to again. And uh, the episode I felt it was good enough that they recycled the plot into justice with the Edo and the godlike space station in the next generation. So I enjoyed it. I'm giving it a four and a half. The Edo had a couple of standout points that episode did. Quite a few standout mm. points. Oh, I get what you're saying. Okay. But um, <laughs> we, we weren't subtle, dude. Well, I, I was thinking more that they almost killed Wesley. Uh, Shut up, Wesley. <laughs> oh, yeah, that too. Who, I guess, had beef with, uh, did something, said something on the internet, something, whatever, that William Shatner was a douche when they were filming next door for Star Trek 5 or something. I don't know. And I would just insert Shut Up Wesley right there. So, anyway. Uh, let's see. I, uh, I see I'm told between 3 and 3.5. Uh, I'm, I will say 3.5. Wow, I, I got no uh, piffy... Uh, 3.5 Bem bits? Yeah, there we go. You're piffless? I'm piffless. Piffless? I don't even know if that's a word. Lack of piff is... I find your lack of piff disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we yep, all thought. That's all I got. <laughs> the question then becomes, what did Blaine think? Incoming transmission. Hi guys, this one is somewhat pleased with this episode. We have a truly alien species of alien on the ship in Bem. Had this been live action, as would have been the case when David Gerald pitched this for the third season of the original series, it would have been far more difficult to pull off. 
Bem has one less finger than the rest of the crew in addition to his composite nature. I'm not entirely sure why his body parts can fly only when they are detached, or how the Federation let him aboard without doing enough of a physical to learn what kind of physiology he had. His decision-making process is quite alien, which is a polite way of saying that it makes little or no sense to me. I also assume that he had prior knowledge of what kinds of lifeforms were on that planet, because it would otherwise be difficult to explain why this specific mission was the one he chose to join. We have yet another god-level creature at Jean's insistence, but Gerald worked it in well enough. This felt like an hour-long episode could have been better than the half-hour version, as they could have fleshed out a lot more details about Bem and this world. Instead, we just see a lot of elements that aren't adequately explained. I'm okay with not understanding everything, but only when you have characters acknowledge that the answers aren't available. Instead, this feels like the crew just aren't asking the obvious questions that they should be asking, likely because it would then become impossible to fit the story into 24 minutes. It's never good when characters' actions, or in this case inactions, can only be justified by production realities and are unrelated to any thought process they may have gone through. It's also worth noting that Bem's references to himself in the third person were written before Mantis, aka the Celestial Madonna, first appeared in Avengers comics, but the episode didn't air until after those comics appeared. Thus, I assume the similarities are coincidental. Of course, this episode is best known for establishing Tiberius as Kirk's middle name. Gerald's version of events involves inspiration from a TV show that wouldn't air until 1976, so it seems his memory is flawed. He is consistent about throwing the name out when a fan at the convention asked what the T stood for. In some tellings of the story, he has no idea what inspired it. In others, it had various inspirations that may or may not work with the timeline. Beyond that, if you check out the documents the Roddenberry Foundation have shared online, you'll find that Tiberius was Kirk's middle name according to the series Bible as written in 1966. It was also the middle name of the lead in Roddenberry's previous series, The Lieutenant. Here's what I think happened. I think Gerald read the series Bible in 1966, picked up the middle name, and filed that information away somewhere in the back of his mind. Then the show was cancelled, and he put it behind him. Five years later, fandom for it was growing. When a fan asked what the T stood for, Gerald's mind retrieved the correct answer he'd read in the series Bible, but Gerald honestly had no idea where that information had come from. Being a creative type who was used to inspiration with no clear source, he reasonably assumed that it was his original thought, although it actually wasn't. Either way, the name appears on screen for the first time in this episode, and would be repeated again in Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country years later. Regardless of the origins, this is the first time most fans learn Kirk's middle name. When it comes to ideas that originated in the animated series, though, the next episode, Practical Joker, contains a doozy. Okay. Well, I look forward to uh, to, to seeing that because I don't have any recollection as to what that episode was. I did have the thought about Mantis when I was watching it, and I forgot to mention it as we were going over the episode. Uh, mm. So that that's, yeah, that's kind of interesting and uh you know i pretty much agree with just about everything that uh that blaine has given us there so curious what you guys think and that is the sum total of what everybody thinks so uh, i guess where'd everybody go <laughs> i was gonna make a espresso <laughs> So I guess that's it for this time out. What are we doing next time? Next time we'll have Andy here. Wow. <laughs> Must have been cut off the call somehow. 
It's just you and I. Andy's gone. I, 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 no, I think he was. I think you were unwittingly yeah. muted. Did the cat walk over your computer again? No, no, you you can't cut it out during the whole blind section, so I just let you carry on because I didn't want to interrupt the recording. Oh, I didn't hear you cut out once. Okay, well then, then in that case, do you have any commentary on Blaine's commentary? I don't know because I didn't hear it because you kept cutting out while you were reading okay, it. Yeah, all right. Well, you know, the the audience isn't going to hear me read it though; they're going to hear Blaine saying it. It was about the, the, the uh, magic uh, of editing. It was it was magic the origin. It was the origin of uh, Kirk's name uh, being a name from another series, uh, a lead from another Roddenberry series. Uh, yeah. So actually, why am I paraphrasing? That? You you just read it. Oh, let me read it again. <laughs> <laughs> so Ty, <laughs> all right. So Tiberius came from another series, did it? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then there was confusion. Okay. So how does that work with James R. Kirk? Uh, yeah, good. Uh, somebody couldn't. Uh, well, it's as close to T. It's only two letters away. Two letters off. I only carved it into a tombstone. Uh, you know, can't change it now. We got to go to print. Kirk's best friend at Which the time. Which Roman emperor could he have been that begun with R? Uh, well, maybe it's for Rubicon. I'm, I'm thinking mm, that. Uh, I'm thinking that. What's his name? Uh, I can't even think of what the, the character's name is. Who, who was? You know, yeah, Gary. Gary. Gary Mitchell. Mitchell. <laughs> it's a joke between him and Kirk. No, yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm thinking. Days. He says, "So, what's your middle name, Tiberius?" I'm not calling you that. As far as I'm concerned, your middle <laughs> name is Roderick. <laughs> oh, no, it could have been like you're a Rube from Iowa. You're a Rube. <laughs> Rube James Rube Kirk. It's like Scott Rube East from Iowa. Iowa. Rutabaker. So. Release Waterway. That's that's how I, I retcon it is, or how I mind can it is that, that Gary Mitchell just refused to acknowledge the, the name Tiberius as being legit. Yeah, that's fair enough. Right. Okay. So now all, all right, of that we'll said, that. what's happening next time? Next time, an all new episode of Toon Trek. After lots of discussion about stuff that isn't what we're actually supposed to be here to talk about, we will talk about season two, episode three, The Practical Joker. Ooh, I look forward Ooh. to it. Yes. I do yes. too. I'm looking forward to Cesar Romero showing up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see you all, we'll have... all then. Bye-bye. Bye. Tune Trek is based upon Star Trek created by Gene Roddenberry and is a Tutu Freaks presentation. It's hosted by Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, Dave Pascarella, Bill Robinson, and produced and guest-hosted on occasion by J. David Wheaton. All music and clips are copyright their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This is a review show and as such, protected under fair use. Yeah, let's go with that. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Toon Trek. You got some splitting to do, Kirk. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs>